Broadcasting on 103.2, this is Dublin City FM. Good evening and welcome to the Astronomy Show here on 103.2 Dublin City FM with John Dixon and myself, Ben Emmons. Sorry for a little technical issue there. Gremlins in the machine again. Uh, as ever, our email address is astronomy at dublincityfm.ie and the text number is 0879771032. Standard text rates apply. That's 0879771032. And of course, we're available as a live stream on Dublin City FM. And uh, yes, our email address is astronomy at dublincityfm.ie and the text number is 0879771032. Going to start as usual. Well, what to see in the night sky? Sorry, a very good evening to you, Ben. Hi, everyone, as <laughs> usual. <laughs> yep, and uh, what we will see in the night sky at the moment, unfortunately, the International Space Station is not around just at the moment. And um, we can see Mercury until just five past nine this evening. Not very well, to, uh, you know, not a very good uh, thing to see at the moment. Tomorrow morning... Quarter to five in the morning you can get to see Venus, which is a good bright thing in the sky. Mars it is from sort of nearly half past eleven this evening. Jupiter a few minutes later. And, and then Saturn uh, tomorrow morning it will disappear into the morning light at 5.27. Uranus from Tuesday at 22.40, which is today. And Neptune from 21.12, which is just after... The program finishes this evening, so we will look forward to that. And if you want to know when the International Space Station is coming back into the sky, it is from September the 15th until October the 4th. And if you're an early riser, mm. you'll see it in the morning skies from around about the 27th of August, the end of this end of this week, but we're talking about 3 and 4, 5 a.m. passings, which is uh, doesn't suit me, that's for sure. Um, now, just also going on a little bit more about what to see in the sky. Uh, we mentioned it last week, John, the rolling sun on, on Crow Patrick. Tonight and tomorrow, I believe, are good nights for that. If you happen to be over that way and you happen to be in the right position, as the sun drifts down as it sets, it appears from a certain angle to be actually rolling down the side. I think it's the northwestern side of the mountains, not something I've ever experienced myself and uh, tomorrow Wednesday 24th, Uranus is stationary, it begins to retrograde then and on Friday morning Venus as you mentioned 4.5 degrees to the right of the moon can't really miss either of them and Saturday 27th Mercury is at its greatest elongation so uh, hard enough one to spot and on Sunday, here's one for you, John, in particular, because I know you like looking for the the early young crescent moon. I do. You get a chance yeah. on Sunday evening, the Sunday the 28th, in the evening, a very young 2.5% crescent moon. Look for it after sunset, which is at 8.24pm on Sunday, and, of course, before the moon sets about uh, 40 or 50 minutes later at 9.11. So the sun will be setting at 8.24 p.m. on Sunday and between then and for the next 40 minutes or so after that, look out for a 2.5% crescent moon. That's uh, be challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a challenge. 
I certainly do. And uh, crescent moons I really love for some reason. I do not know why. It is. No, it's, it's very, very things. pretty and very um, amazing in binoculars too. Uh, and of course, if you have a small telescope, you'll be able to see, especially when there's a crescent or a gibbous moon, you'll see a bit more with the shadows. You get a bit more, better idea of the relief and the depth of craters and things like that, especially along the Terminator where you can... Mm. The, line between night and day on the moon much better than looking at a a full moon which is pretty in its own to its in its own degree but um if you like to see the relief the sides to catch the mountains and the shadows of mountains on the moon um the crescents crescents are gibbous moon is the best best time to view that speaking of the moon it's not up at the moment. It's set about half an hour ago, actually, but it will rise again in the early hours of tomorrow morning at 20 past two. At that stage, it'll be a 10% waning crescent as we head towards the new moon next Saturday, the 27th. And it will be at, be due south at 11.21 a.m. tomorrow morning. At that stage, it'll be down to an 8% waning crescent before then it goes on and sets at 8.06 p.m. tomorrow evening. Now the sunrise tomorrow in Dublin is 6.20 a.m. That's getting nearer and nearer to my alarm set time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's 12 minutes earlier than a week ago. Local noon in Dublin is 1.27 p.m., which is two minutes earlier than a week ago. And the sun sets in Dublin tomorrow at 8.33 p.m., 15 minutes earlier than a week ago. And then from when when the time the sun sets... We'll have civil twilight until 10 past 9, and then we'll have nautical twilight until just before 11 p.m., and then we'll have astronomical twilight ending and nighttime officially beginning just before midnight, 11.54 p.m. tomorrow evening. So that all in all, that means tomorrow there'll be four minutes and zero seconds less daylight than today when we have a 14 hour and 13 minutes between sunrise and sunset and that's a whole 27 minutes less daylight than a week ago yeah, now if you're still interested in seeing some of the Perseids they are still in our skies at the moment and everybody of course loves to see a, a good meteor shooting across the night sky and all throughout the year in fact uh, normally on a good clear evening you can get up to two meteors per hour and uh, during the Perseids there was about 80 or so because the the moon was quite bright unfortunately this year but uh, it will change and at the moment you will get to see probably three or four until the end of the month and then it'll just go back to normal until we get the next one and that'll be fun as well so uh, the comet of course the, the Perseids is responsible for is the Comet 109P Swift Tuttle which was discovered back in 1862, but first observed back in 1737. It's great to think there were telescopes around in those days. Mm. Now, I think, Ben, the big news oh, is... Coming up this week? ...is that NASA's epic Artemis 1 moon mission is just one week away from launch on August the 29th, and at um, 1.33 GMT, of course, that's our because we're living in summer time at the moment over this side of the world it's uh, 12.33 GMT or we're GMT plus one which means at 1.33 so we'll have a 
the telly or a computer on for something like that to, to watch that as well. So it's the first mission in NASA's Artemis program of the lunar exploration. It's scheduled, as I say, to launch at 1.33 GMT at lunchtime. You can watch it here at space.com if you want to. That's a good place to watch it. I'm and sure it'll be on NASA TV because they be on the rocket. I'm, I'm sure I'm it'll a, be on ESA TV as well. Funny, I'm a, a great fan of NASA TV as well because it uh, comes up on my telly in a big screen. It's quite a, an event this time. It's not just for the diehard space fans. It's going to be very exciting. It's the most powerful rocket that there's been around for some considerable amount of time at this stage. And unlike Apollo, the Artemis is not designed to be a flags and footprints operation. And then what that means is they're not going to just land, stick a flag in, and take a few photographs of footprints. So there's the collaboration of com- commercial and international partners, and they're going to establish the first long-term presence on the moon. And we were just discussing this, of how long that the astronauts on the Apollo missions were on the moon. From Apollo 11, they were only a couple of hours on it, I think, uh, weren't they? Uh, yes, yeah. and then I think, I think if, you, if you count the time, they then they slept... Mm. Maybe it was less than a, a day anyway, wasn't it? And I think they were only out for three and a half hours or something like that. I'm not sure. It was very quick. The job was to really put a flag there and footprints, yeah. photographs. Mm-hmm. We've been here. Take a few rocks and dust and and head home. And head home, exactly. And uh, as then, the, of course, the Apollo missions went on. They got longer and longer on, on the moon up until uh, the longest duration was Apollo 17. 17, where they were spent just over three days, 70, 73 hours, 72 hours is three days, I think spent 73 hours, one minute and so many seconds. It's all, mm-hmm. everything is timed to the second with these missions. and But these Artemis missions are going to be, they're going to be down there for just over twice that, six and a half days is the plan at the moment for each for each mission now, just the before in, yeah. uh, well the before astronauts on the there won't be four going down mm-hmm. I presume to be three going down there are three yeah and just in case they can't get off the ground on August the 29th due to bad weather or technical issues they have another backup opportunity available on September the 2nd and in September the 5th as well so it's great to have that little backup pocket of launch space. So this mission, John, is going to be, uh, they don't know whether it will, it'll last somewhere between 20 days and 40 days. That hasn't been decided yet. It depends on how many orbits around the moon they want to do. They want to do. Of course, there'll be nobody on board or checking out all the systems, making sure everything works all right. It's the first launch of this amalgamation of the, the Orion spacecraft the European Service Module uh, and the, yeah, the SLS, they call it, the what's that? Space Launch System. And, uh, and I said to be nobody aboard, except for Sean the Sheep, but we, we covered that one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. He'd be strapped in. <laughs> and uh, as one of the mission controllers says, it, that's going to be a great, one giant leap for a lamp kind. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible joke. Yes, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's gone about half a million miles from the Earth, further than any other human-rated spacecraft has ever travelled. And um, this, the second mission will be called Artemis 2, and that'll see four astronauts travel around the moon. 
a bit like Apollo 10, where they went to the moon but didn't land, and then Apollo, or not Apollo, but Artemis 3 will be landing on the moon. And it's reckoned the plan is that on board, what we'll have is the first woman to walk on the moon and the first person of colour to walk on the moon. And, of course, there's a big European space agency collaboration with this. They're providing the service module, which is the powerhouse that fuels the Orion capsule. And it is hoped that the plan is that there, at some stage there will be an independent European lunar lander and that there will be a European astronaut walking on the moon sometime around 2030. I don't mean half past eight this evening, I mean the year 2030. So, uh, And those uh, those capsules, I have four of them built or in been or in almost ready and another two or an order. So that would indicate, according to my maths, six. And if the first two aren't going to land, then that would mean there will be four in this. Of course, it could be extended, but it seems to be that there would be at least four lunar landings. And uh, what about three people? There's been another 12 people on the moon before I don't know over what time period, but the first lunar landing, manned lunar landing, is planned f- for the year 2025, only a mere three years away. Just, They're not uh, rushing it like Apollo, if you remember back no. in the day. It seemed, it seemed like every few months, we had Apollo 8, and then we had Apollo 9, and then we had Apollo 10, etc., etc. Uh, but there was a, a race to get to the moon before the Soviet Union. But once that was done, now they can take their time. They're not in a race with anyone that doesn't look as though anybody's going to get there before them certainly not Russia and highly unlikely to be the Chinese although a few years ago we were thinking maybe the Chinese might beat them to it but not looking like it now they seem to be concentrating on their their um, space station yeah. at the moment but I'm sure they have plans to go to the moon and maybe they got to Mars before everyone else yeah it's a pretty serious business this space thing and uh, we're reliably informed that the first trip onto the moon was 2 hours and 40 seconds I funny enough I remember that because I was only a little fella. I didn't even reach ten. You might have. I remember just too. About, I yeah. was ten or eleven. Yeah, just there we go. Yeah, yeah. There we and go. Uh, yeah, I remember those grainy images, and I made my my father. I said, "Will you wake me up when they get out and on the moon?" And yeah, I remember this. Uh, my memory was now it was, it was something like quarter to four in the morning mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And I was up with the rest. We were all up, the whole family, watching it on, on TV. Those grainy images of yeah. Neil Armstrong going down the ladder. Yeah. And I knew even that tender age that this was, this was a big deal. This was, this was a major, this was one giant leap for mankind because no, of course nobody had ever, ever been to the moon before. And you were actually watching the first person, human person walk on the moon. Absolutely amazing. It was, yeah. I can't wait to see the to a uh, 13th person walk <laughs> on the moon. <laughs> yep, wouldn't it be great if it was us? But no, alas, not. We were just discussing earlier on how long it's going to take for the Artemis mission to get to the moon. And it probably could get there quite quickly. But then they don't want to accelerate too fast, so they have to slow down and burn energy. So they, it's about a week or so before they get into lunar orbit. So that's what it's going to take. 
Now, just news on the Russian spacewalk front. It was cut short due to an issue with one of the spacesuits. And the spacewalk by the two Russians on Wednesday was uh, ended abruptly due to a problem with the battery pack in Kosmonaut Oleg Art- Artemyev suit. And though at no point was he in any danger, and Oleg must return to the airlock as soon as possible. So, I, you know, this is, as we say, pretty serious stuff. So if there is something, they've got to get them back and drop everything and go back into the airlock. And he was told a few times to get back in. So the orders came soon after Artemyev reported that a slightly abnormal voltage reading from his spacesuit's battery. Uh, please do not worry, everything is fine. You're okay, the controller said, because they can control everything back here on Earth as well. It's really remarkable what they can do. But uh, the spacewalk itself was declared finished at four hours. So um, just to get the time, because normally they're out there for almost seven hours, you know, six hours, seven hours. That's uh, quite some feat of stuff to do out in space when they've all these things to do with their little spanners and screwdrivers and battery packs and everything else so uh, just as well I'm sure we'll probably hear a little bit more about that later on as the news comes in from that Thank you John you're listening to the Astronomy Show here on 103.2 Dublin City FM with John Dixon and myself Ben Emmett and our email address is astronomy at dublincityfm.ie and the text number is 087977 standard text rate supply and of course we're all so live on the internet dublincityfm.ie and also available as a podcast. John, it was how many years ago? Today? 40? Not today, exactly. Well, 45 years ago. Yeah, it was on the 20th, actually. That, back in 19... Voyager 2, 1977. Of course, the twin Voyager probes, uh, they were only, what were they, launched short distance uh, apart, so... Yeah, I know Voyager 2 was yeah. launched before mm-hmm. Voyager 1. They were launched within, uh, I think it was within three weeks of each other's, two or three weeks and they're off on the time they've been moving ever since. Yep, they're in a thing called uh, outer, way, way outer space, beyond past the, the solar, solar system, the yeah, solar inter, system. interstellar space at this stage, mm-hmm. travelling roughly 40,000 miles per hour and has been doing that for the last 45 years. It's really remarkable. And they're at the cutting edge of, t- of space exploration because they have these little nuclear power packs and they don't produce an awful lot of what we would call energy or electricity to send back, but they're still going. And even after all those years, the big question is, will they make it to 50? So it's the longest mission to date. Well, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll keep going for millions, perhaps billions of years, but mm-hmm. how long will it be before the batteries give out or before the signal gets so weak yeah. that we can't receive it? That's really the question. So that is, they are two of Five spacecraft that have gone beyond the solar system, as you say, out into interstellar space. And your question, starter for ten, is who are the other three? What are the other three? No? Mm-hmm. Ah, John. Yep. Sorry, I was reading something else. <laughs> yep. Pion- the Pioneer. Was it Pioneer 10, Pioneer 11, and New Horizons? That's it, yes. Yeah, 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 bang see, on, yes. You have it written I down. Knew, no, I don't. Yeah, you no, do. I don't. Do no, just to let you know what was on this on these gadgets. But I know that you would do. I know you knew the spacecraft. I did know. Yeah, and they, they each carry an eight-track tape player 
for recording data and they have about 3 million times less memory than mod- modern cell phones and they transmit the data about 38,000 times slower than the new 5G internet connection. So there's not much technology on it, but still probably more than the Apollo uh, 11 mission, which was like a 64K type of thing and just a few buttons here and there. Forward, no reverse in that one. Mm. And go fast, go slow, you know, that sort of stuff. But it must have been remarkable to see it. Now, you visited NASA at one stage, did you? Uh, no, the Air and Space yeah. Museum in mm. Washington, D.C. Yeah, Absolutely funny, amazing. Yeah. I'd love to see inside. It's, it's worth going just for that. It's Wonderful. an amazing place. Wonderful. Everything from from the Wright Brothers aircraft to, I was going to say, the Jimmy Stewart's aircraft, you know, the mm. Spirit of St. Louis and um, the training module for the Skylab and all sorts of aircraft. Gary Powers, do you remember him and his U-2 spacecraft? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's a lunar module, the lunar lander there mm. as well and yeah, it's a amazing, amazing place. Amazing. Just a, a reminder of the launch date again for Voyager 2 which took off first, August the 20th 1977, uh, quickly followed by Voyager 1 on September the 5th so they were quite close to each About other. two weeks, yeah. Yep. And both probes travelled to Jupiter and Saturn with Voyager 1 moving faster and actually getting there faster and uh, getting there first. So, yep, they both had loads of things to do and still probably have loads of things to do. And if somebody catches that, one of those little fellows going into interstellar space in so many years to come, and they, they find have a, an A-track a, player. A <laughs> yeah, well, what are the chances yeah. of a little green man with yeah. an A-track player? Well, strangely enough, I have one at home, <laughs> and I have endless amounts of tapes of, of, of the cassettes. And we used to at one stage have the push-in thing that had the, uh, you know, the cassette converter type thing. You put in a normal cassette into it as well. Oh, yeah, I didn't there know you go. Is. Oh, yes, they did. It's certainly in the cars we did. So technology in our house was something else. You were, and we used to have a television with four buttons, two stations. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So there we go. So there we are. It logs forty-five years in space as NASA's longest mission to space uh, to date, which is really very good. So we'll reach 50, fingers crossed. Thank you, John. Now, uh, something we mentioned last week, I think, or the week before, was asteroid Ryugu and some of the dust uh, and grain samples that came back. A few grams they brought back. Yeah, that was the, the Hayabusa 2, the Japanese probe that went out to asteroid Ryugu and took some samples and brought it back and apparently now they're saying that some of the microscopic grains of ancient material that they found there actually predate the sun's birth so they're more than some of the material on that they brought back was more than four and a half billion years old the Ryugu was named after a Japanese folktale um Ryugu itself is a near-Earth object shaped like a kind of spinning top. It orbits the sun every 16 months or so, and Hayabusa 2 was the first mission to bring back material to Earth from a primitive asteroid. And they're looking at the pre-solar grains and the isotopic signatures. They say it can, they can date it from the time before the sun formed. So basically older than the solar system. Does that mean it came from outside the solar system? I don't know. I don't know, but there's lots more. Even though there's only a few grains of of dust and sand and grit, there's a 
they seem to be doing a lot of getting a lot of information from it and uh, lots more of lots more studying to be done there yes indeed there are now just going back 65 million years just a mere few amount of years and the asteroid that finished the dinosaurs or was it did a second killer asteroid finish the the dinosaurs off the crater in West Africa hints a yes on this so a likely asteroid impact crater from the latter days of the dinosaurs has been discovered and uh, that was the one that wiped out the dinos and may have had a smaller sibling that struck shortly after that and the crater itself is believe it or not hidden in about 3,000 feet of water that's 900 metres on it's been detected in West Africa. So that was likely what they're saying now. This is what they're sort of working towards. Um, it was a the, between the two of them. They, between the two of them, they, and they they must have followed short. When they say shortly, mm, they don't know whether it was the same day, the next day, or no, two million years no, later. I don't or, think there was anybody around to, <laughs> to take that. Nobody to record it. But yep, when they say short, around about the same time, they could be talking within. I presume, a thousand years or so. Yep, so the elliptical hole that this particular one made was 5.3 miles wide from rim to rim and 131 feet from floor to rim, so that was some impact and we definitely don't want to be around for that either. And a study of the moon, uh, of all the rocks in the moon, find that they actually contain gases from Earth. So this is uh, some of the bits and pieces they've collected from the moon, like the moon rocks and everything, and they've discovered proof that the moon includes chemical elements from Earth's interior, and the finding supports the theory that the moon was created when something smashed into Earth. Now, you've got to remember that the Earth was molten at that particular mm-hmm. stage, so there was uh, it was like one of those lava lights. Like a big, you know, a big lava, blob. And then yeah. it was hit by something maybe about the size of Mars and... Yeah, so that's uh, interesting. material yeah, into space. Interesting, so, and formed a ring around the, the Earth and then coalesced yeah. under gravity and mm-hmm. formed the Moon. And it's moving away at about half an inch per year, by the way. So it was an awful lot closer in the early days. And, of course, they measured another aspect of the Apollo missions where they put those, uh, for all the world, like cat's eyes on the, on the surface of the Moon, mirrors, and they, uh, from Earth, point a laser beam at it measure the time it mm-hmm. takes to get there and back and that's how they get and with, with atomic clocks and you can that's how they know it's getting that inch or so further away mm-hmm. every year thank you for John that's all the time we have this evening don't forget our email address is astronomy at dublincityfm.ie and thanks to John for his news items and for driving the sound desk and thanks to James Sweeney for making the show available as a podcast and to the people here who do the same and Connor Lennon for putting it up on astronomy.ie but that's all from me Ben Emmett from this edition of the Astronomy Show here on 103.2 Dublin City FM up next it's Hello China 9 o'clock it's Threads with Brad Line at 11pm here to the globe with Nigel Wood and his world music Music. And at midnight, we have After Hours with Dave Barry with his mix of jazz, blues and soul until 2 a.m. But please join myself and John at the same time next week. We'll be back with all the latest news from around the universe. Until then, take care of each other. Thank you for listening and say goodnight, John. Good night, John. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
broadcasting on 103.2. This is Dublin City FM.